Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Oki Investigations, the true crime podcast where we tell stories of crimes that happened long ago. If you're a true crime fan, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. That way, when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. Also, check out our Facebook page at Oki Investigations and our blog over at truecrime.blog. That's where we post a lot of the cool things that we found for each episode. This episode, Three is a Crowd, has a lot of newspaper clippings that dates back to 1891. They're so cool to dig through and take a deeper dive on this story. Parts of this story may contain opinions and speculations and should be taken as such. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Next week, November 1st through the 6th, I will actually be out on vacation. Uh, My feet will be on a sandy beach somewhere in Belize. If you are out that way, I'm the guy who's probably sunburnt and has had way too many mojitos. Now, what does this mean for all of you? Well, nothing really. I'm just bragging. I have pre-planned an episode drop and a bonus episode for next week, so it will be business as usual. We have some pretty cool things coming down the pipeline that are not entirely ready to announce yet. We have been working hard to bring you guys the best true crime content that we possibly can, and we will continue to do so because this is what I love to do. Today's story comes from doing a lot of research in the 1800s. These stories are sometimes harder to research because of their age. A lot of documents weren't kept or they were lost. Uh, Digging this one out 
It was a little bit easier, and it was so much fun. Our story first takes place in the town of Salem, Virginia, on April 4th, 1891. A young African-American woman, Susan Watkins, arrives into town. She was seen going from shop to shop, person to person, looking for anyone who knew her husband, Charles Watkins who she described as mulatto due to his Caucasian and African-American parentage. She also asked if anyone knew of his friend, Benjamin Wright. As she does this, word begins to spread across town about the woman's search. Someone who knows the second man, Benjamin, goes to his house and lets him know about the woman. He is told that the woman is in town and where to find her. As soon as Benjamin arrives into town, he has no trouble finding the woman. She is still there asking anyone who would listen if they knew the two men. So Benjamin carefully approached the young woman and asked why she was asking for him. The woman introduces herself as Susan Watkins. She tells him that she is the wife of Charles Watkins. He left her some months ago, and she believes he's run off with another woman. Benjamin refuses to believe this story. He explains that Charles had introduced him to his wife. She is a pretty white woman named Edith. But as he said this, Susan reached into her bag that she was carrying and handed him a paper. It was a marriage certificate for Susan and Charles Watkins. Both parties had signed it, and she explained to Benjamin that she intended to do what she could to try and save her marriage. Susan explains that they used to live in Chicago. This is actually where Charles also met Edith Freebell. She was a German woman who fell in love with her husband. While Susan was working hard and trying to make ends meet, Charles and Edith were sneaking around and planning on running off together. Susan wanted the chance to confront them both and hopefully get Edith to back down and just go away. This strikes a chord with Benjamin. He went into this expecting to find a mad lady looking for him, and now he finds a woman in need. Benjamin knows that Charles was not the most honest man, but he didn't realize that he was as bad as this woman tells it. So he decides on the spot that he's going to help Susan confront Charles. He will also be by her side to face his friend who has been lying not only to her, but to him and everyone around him for far too long. Benjamin explained to Susan that he knew what town Charles was living in, but it was too late to go there now. They would leave at first light the next day, and they would definitely find her husband. Although he didn't know where Charles was currently staying, He was confident that they would soon find out. They both went to Benjamin's house, and he let Susan stay the night. That next day, they started off towards a town named Roanoke. When they arrived in Roanoke, they went to a village 
that was a prominent African-American community that was very, very tight-knit. They began asking if anyone knew where Charles or Edith were staying. They also told the townsfolk about Charles leaving his wife for the other woman. Some of them were shocked. Benjamin had been introducing everyone to Edith and presenting her as his wife. So none of them had any clue that any of this was going on and that he was putting on this ruse. Soon they were directed up the road to a house where George Washington lived. And no, not that George Washington. But they were told that Charles and Edith had been staying there. When they arrived at the home, they knocked on the door, and the man who owned the house, George, answered. Susan and Benjamin introduced themselves and asked if Charles was there. Fearing that something was up, George was a little reluctant to let them know one way or the other. So Susan, realizing this, explained what was going on and showed him the marriage certificate. Very confused. George lets them into the house where Charles and Edith are in the back listening to everything that's going on. Everyone at once confronts Charles about what the truth really is. At first, he denies knowing Susan, but no one believes him at this point. He soon confesses to what he had done. He explains that when he was with Susan, he didn't mean to. But he fell in love with Edith. Knowing that Susan would never accept a divorce, he decided to leave with Edith and disappear from Susan forever. Charles explained that although he and Edith were not married, and at this time since they were an interracial couple, it would be near impossible for them to be, they decided to just live as a married couple. Susan had little to nothing to say about all of this. In either story, she is somewhat the villain, going after a married man. Seeing Edith's obvious discomfort, Charles decided to take her away from all of this and promised to come back and talk further to Susan. A light rain had come in and Charles and Edith left the Washington home. As the day went on, Susan and Miss Washington spoke some and got to know one another. George spent some time putting together several sleeping arrangements for everyone, knowing that they were all probably in for a long night. That late evening, Charles returned without Edith. He explained that he had taken her to his grandmother's house in the mountains. Charles expressed that he wanted to talk to Susan alone, and he had arranged a buggy ride for the two of them. But Susan quickly declined this. Charles backed off of this idea for now. They both spent the night together having awkward conversations and not coming to any real agreements. They were both just too stubborn to let the other win. That following day, Charles asked Susan if Susan wanted to go out with him. He had some things to take care of and said that they could spend the time talking and working things out. But she again refused to leave the Washington home. 
Charles, who was visibly annoyed by this, left for the day. It was later this day Susan had confided in Miss Washington that she was scared to leave with Charles. She was suspicious of his behavior and did not trust him. Charles returned that evening at about 6 p.m. This time, he demanded that Susan come with him. He explained that they were not going to be able to work things out unless they could have some alone time together. Susan must have given up at this point, probably hoping that there was still some chance of saving their marriage, so she gathered her things and went out with Charles just after 6 p.m. Susan never returned to the Washington home. The next day, a young boy named Lawrence Anderson was out working with his friends. They were pulling an ox cart around town and gathering firewood. As they did so, they would load that cart up with that wood. Another boy that he was friends with had just come from the creek. He was frightened at something he had seen there. When Lawrence asked him what it was, his friend told him it looked like there was a dead body near the log crossing. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Lawrence knew of the log crossing. It was a large log that was placed over the stream some time ago. The bark had been stripped away from the log, and on rainy days like this one, it was easy to slip while trying to cross the log. Lawrence ran down to the creek with his friends, and when they reached the log, it was pretty clear that just down the stream, there was something that they couldn't quite see. They walked down the stream just a little ways and were able to see the body. The woman was partially adrift. Her head was in the water and her legs were up on the embankment. After discovering this, Lawrence ran down and alerted authorities to what he had found. Quickly, police arrived and they sent for someone to get the medical examiner. At first, they were wondering if the woman had possibly slipped and hit her head and fell into the water. But she was further downstream, and it just didn't make any sense. Even with the rainfall, she would have been carried down there. As they look further, they notice a bunch of damage around her head. And when the medical examiner arrived, he agreed that something was not right with all of this. It appeared that something had happened. It looked like she had been struck with something. These were not wounds of somebody that just fell. But they would have to do an autopsy to make sure. No one recognized the woman. They believed that she must be new in town or was visiting. Police started to ask the locals if they had seen a young woman in town. And they were told of the story of Susan Watkins. How she was looking for her husband Charles. And that he had been living with another woman at George Washington's house. 
Believing this to be the same woman, they went to find Charles Watkins and his mistress, Edith. Officers first went to the place where Susan was known to have been. If she were here, they would be able to rule her out as the possible ID of the victim. They were headed to the home of George Washington. When officers arrived, they were able to speak to both Mr. and Mrs. Washington. They explained why they were there and what was going on. They asked if Susan was at their home still, and George told the officers that she had left the evening before with Charles and never came back. He told the officers that Charles had recently taken Edith to his mother's house. If he was anywhere, it was likely there. But Charles did return earlier that day for his trunk that he had left at the Washington home. The authorities knew where Charles' grandmother stayed, and the only problem with it was that it would take a little while to get there. She lived in the mountains in a heavily wooded area. As the officers were headed to Charles' grandmother's house, the medical examiner had removed the woman from the creek bed. They found out that whatever happened, it wasn't robbery. The woman had several pieces of jewelry on her at the time of her death. Several gold rings, one with a diamond, a nice watch, and some other jewelry. If this were a robbery, those would have most likely been taken. That evening, officers arrived at the home of Charles's grandmother's. They were met by Lucy Watkins and Taylor Watkins, who were related and lived with the grandmother. They explained how Charles had shown up with Edith and had left her there to stay. He had left to talk with Susan and came back the next day. The night before, Charles seemed on edge, and he met with Edith that late afternoon. They mentioned that Edith had been with them for the past couple of days, and she did not leave the house until this morning. At a dead end, the officers waited until the following day to resume the search for Charles and Edith. Salem officers were checking with the train stations to see if anyone had matched the description for either person. They believed that someone who looked like Charles had purchased the ticket for one train, but no one remembers actually seeing him on the train but they did get the break that they were looking for. Edith was spotted in town, just leaving George Washington's home. She had returned to pick up some things. When officers arrived, she was just leaving their home. The officers arrested her on the spot and brought her in for questioning. A coroner's jury had also been assembled to study the death of Susan Watkins. Some of the locals had identified her from seeing and talking to her earlier in the week. As they were examining Susan, Edith was confessing what she knew of the situation. She told officers that she had nothing to do with Susan's death and that Charles wanted her to leave town with him and join him in the village of Liberty. This information was passed to the coroner's jury who came to this conclusion. The jury believes that Susie Watkins came to her death between the hour of 8 p.m. on the night of the 6th of April and the hour of 12 noon on the 7th of April. From wounds on top of her head 
and a fracture of the skull inflicted by a rock, stick, or some other hard instrument in the hands of Charles Watkins, and that Edith Freebell was an accessory to the act, before or after. The search was now on for Charles Watkins. The news of Susan's murder was front-page news, The police were not the only ones who were looking for Charles. An angry mob had formed, comprised primarily of African-American men who were mad that one of their friends could do something so horrible. Their number swelled in the hundreds, and they vowed to lynch Charles for his crimes. The mob surrounded the jail when a rumor traveled around that Charles had actually been caught, but the sheriff reassured them that this was false and they soon dispersed after. The authorities knew they had to get to Charles before anyone else did if they wanted a chance to actually convict him for his crimes. A mob would surely kill him if they found him first. Weeks would go by with no news in the case, Officers were searching the mountainside and neighboring towns to see if Charles had been there, but it was like he had just vanished. During this time, the authorities believed that there would not be any way to convict Edith. So they cut her a deal and let her go. Edith was very suspicious of this. When she left the prison, she was hounded by a reporter and some locals The reporter kept asking what she was doing and where she was going. The local was giving her a piece of her mind. Edith was followed all the way to the local train station where she was able to buy a ticket to get out of town. She did tell the reporter that she believed that she was being followed by the police. She thought that they were watching her because she might know where Charles was. But she said the joke was on them because she was going to her mother's. It would be months later before there was a break in this case. Close friends and family of Charles suddenly started getting letters from someone who went by the name of S.G. Williams. In the letter, the author confessed to Sarah's murder and how he was working hard to get out of the country. The author let on that he was actually Charles and that he was working on lining up a job to get on a boat to go overseas. It would be a one-way trip for him, but for now, he found work at a hotel to make ends meet. But for Watkins, the devil was in the details, and it was ascertained that Charles was currently in North Carolina. One letter was actually sent to George Washington, who immediately turned it over to police. The detectives in Virginia called the detectives in Wilmington, North Carolina, to let them know that they should be on the lookout for Charles. They sent them a copy of the letter and gave them a physical description of Charles. In North Carolina, it was Officer Ben Turlington who made the big break. He was going from hotel to hotel and checking to see if he could spot Charles. He then went to the Island Beach Hotel And that's where he asked if Mr. Williams was working there. He was told that he did. And he was actually their head waiter. 
Williams came out to see who was asking for him, and he was arrested on the spot. Officer Turlington knew it was Charles from the description he had been given. Charles was quickly brought back to Virginia. The mob that had gathered before that wanted to lynch Charles had since settled down, and they waited for the justice system. Many didn't believe that Charles would get a fair trial in court, but they also didn't think that he was innocent in all of this. It wasn't until the trial that we saw a clear picture of what happened when Sarah died. The trial started on November 17, 1891. After getting a jury into place, they were able to start the trial. The first person they introduced as a witness was young Lawrence Anderson. He described the scene as he found it and stated that he never went down to the water to actually see the body up close. They stayed up on the bank and immediately went to tell someone. The next witness was John Banks. He was one of the men who went down and viewed the body after it was discovered. He's the one that discovered tracks that looked like a new shoe leaving the scene and heading into the mountains. He followed that trail of footprints until it went cold. They then called on each member of the coroner's jury to testify on their findings and their take on the case. Each one had not only examined the body in some way, but they also visited the site of the murder to see what those conditions were. Then a more profound account of what happened started to be told. On the evening of the murder, Taylor Watkins testified that he is Charles's uncle. He said that Charles came to his home and started talking about Susan and how she was now threatening to shoot him and Edith. It was soon after this, Taylor noticed someone coming up to their home. They looked like they were injured. When he opened his door, a woman pushed her way in. It was Susan. She started yelling at Charles and asked why he shot her. Charles denied shooting her. Susan's hand had actually been injured, and she was asking that Charles take the ball out of her hand so she could then leave. Susan said that Charles could have his white winch. They all stayed the night at Taylor's house, and that morning, Susan demanded that Charles take her to the doctor to have the ball removed from her hand. Then she promised she would just leave town. Susan and Charles left that morning for town, and a few hours later, Taylor said he feared something else might have happened to Susan when news came of the dead woman found at the creek. When the jury received the case, they quickly returned with the verdict that Charles Watkins was guilty of murder. The judge ordered that in January that next year, Charles would be hanged. After the trial, Charles seemed to have a mental break. He started acting odd and started focusing intently on religion. The guards began describing Charles as a raving lunatic due to his behavior. The court had to address it and... Many people thought that he was going to be declared insane and they would have to vacate his sentence and send him to a mental institution. 
But just the opposite happened. They found him sane, and the sentence was allowed to resume. On January 8th, 1892, Charles walked slowly to the gallows that was built for him. Earlier that day, he had confessed to the crime that he had committed. He gave a very detailed account to clear his mind some. He was still acting very odd at this time. He was very focused on religion still and would often talk to himself. When he reached the top of the gallows, he was asked if he had anything he wanted to say. Charles just shook his head. They then placed a black cloth sack over his head and fastened the noose around his neck. Charles fell several feet when the trap door was sprung, but the rope failed to break his neck. It took eight minutes for Charles to die. One of the things about this case that I wonder is, did Edith have more to do with the murder than suggested? I could not find much on her whereabouts during all of this, and it's interesting that she fled so quickly after she was released. What do you think? Let me know by going to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Oki Investigations, and there you'll see this post, and let me know there what you thought about this one. If you want to find more about this case, visit truecrime.blog to read all of the incredible newspaper clippings we have on it. If you enjoyed this story, please give us a review. They help us out so much. I'll see you all next time. See ya. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.